Oh, hello, readers. We have a very hello. special <laughs> guest. Gizmo just hopped up here, our, our youngest cat. Oh, oh all right, never mind. She left. Okay, I thought she was going to join us for the recording, but I guess not. Anyway, welcome back to another episode of Shared Pages. And the, did we say that this episode or last episode was our 12th one? I looked it up and I have forgotten already. I also I'm pretty forgot. sure the last episode was our 12th. Was our 12th. So we've been doing this for a full year now is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, oh, did Google I was gonna, to us? I uh, was going to check um, <laughs> what episode we were on and it was like, hey, did you want to play TikToks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, welcome back to another episode where we're going to discuss our book of... August 2022, which was Anatomy, a Love Story by Dana Schwartz. Yes. Now, this was technically uh, my pick, but as usual, it was like a pick that Ian had kind of recommended to me because he knows that I've been really into romance stories lately and I didn't really know what to pick. So we ended up going with this one. And uh, Ian probably speak to it more than me, but you're a fan of Dana Schwartz? Yeah, I like her podcast, Noble Blood. Um, I also found out recently that she's one of the writers for She-Hulk, or oh. Lady Hulk, whatever that show's called. Yeah, She-Hulk. Uh, we haven't watched that yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I heard this. People have been saying it's like Marvel's best product from this phase or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she runs uh, weekly. It, it used to not be weekly because she was the only researcher, but now she's got a team. So every week they tell you like a an interesting story about nobility and like the weird stuff rich people do when they have nothing better to do in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, which I guess they also kind of talk a little bit about in this book, but we'll um, get to that as we you know discuss it. It was actually a weird coincidence. One of the more recent episodes, I think it's like two or three ago. Dana Schwartz on their sh- her show interviewed another author whose name I can't remember right now, but it was an author that she had read because they were writing a book about the development of plastic surgery post like World War One. Because mm. before that, there was like a difference between being a surgeon and being a doctor, and being a surgeon was considered like more Lowly. barbaric. Yeah. Um. And she read that book to research this book. And it was like, we had, like, picked this book. And then, like, a week later, I was like, oh. She based, yeah. she, she had researched this book to, yeah. like, inspire her. And I, yeah. I, I shared that episode on their Twitter. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, so Anatomy. Um, I, I will just mention really quick the cover of it. I do like, it has, a, like, a young woman sitting with, like, her big dress all flared out around her, but it's in the shape of a heart, yeah. because this deals with a young woman named Hazel Sinnett, Sinnett That's how I would say, is, yeah. uh, who wants to become a surgeon, not just a doctor, but a surgeon specifically, and she, uh, obviously, it is... Not a woman's job during this time period, so like the there's eighteen seventeen. I, I can't remember the exact date that this takes place, and I was hoping it would say on the inside, but it doesn't. Um, but yeah, it's like takes place in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, yeah, eighteen seventeen. Oh yeah, my yeah. brain knows what's up. Um. So anyway, so I guess we'll just jump into the or the summary of yeah. the story. It's so. a fairly straightforward story, or at least I thought. The last, like, 
20 pages, and I was like, what? Yeah, it gets, not, like, really crazy. Not, like, in the plot surprised me, like, but just, like, that one, spe- like, specific go- moment is, like, I was like, this... I did not it see goes this from being like a paranormal-ish. Being a commentary on, like, women's rights and where do they belong during this time period. You know, this young woman's trying to, like, find her way without having to be forced into a marriage she doesn't want. And then there's, like, the poverty that the young man is facing. And then all of a sudden, at the last, like, 30 pages, it's like, also supernatural shit! Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, but anyway, so this follows the main character, Hazel Sinnott, who is, I think she's 16 or 17. Yeah, she's the daughter of a Viscount. She's the daughter of a Viscount. Which is the fourth ranking noble in English hierarchy. Oh, did you look this up, or did you just know? I half knew it. I know they're below an earl, or above an earl and below a lord, but I didn't know what number they were until I looked it up. See, in my mind, lord is always low. On the totem pole, but I think it just sounds so generic to me. You know, sure a viscount sounds so so viscount sounds so fancy. I just imagine that one being like up higher. Um, but anyway, yeah, she's and her father is part of the navy, and he's currently on. Wait, this, I was wrong. Oh. A, below an earl and above a baron, Lord of Parliament in Scotland. Mm. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So her dad is a viscount, and he. Uh, is in the navy. No, her dad's not. Oh. Her mom. All they say that multiple times. Oh. All of the like the t- like uh, honorifics come from her mother's side of the family. But even though it comes from her mother's side, the mom really had no, no power, power after she got married to some yeah. guy in the navy. And I guess. The, yeah, and the dad is. He seems like an okay guy, but he's off on, um... I mean, we don't see him at all. What island did they put Napoleon on? He's on Napoleon. St. Helens? Yeah, he's on Napoleon Island. He's guarding Napoleon's, because they can't let that guy get off the island again. He almost conquered the world twice. <laughs> They're like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, so he's he's absent the whole book. All we know is that he is alive and off. And early on in the book, you can see the reason Hazel is interested in medical studies, because she and her older brother suffered from the Roman fever, which Ian told me yesterday is malaria, malaria. uh, which they never refer to as malaria in the book. They always call it the Roman fever or some other moniker that they have uh, for it. Mm -hmm. Um. And so when they got it when they were younger, her older brother actually died from it and she lived. And her mom is like in a permanent state of grieving and just dotes on her little brother because her mom plays all importance in the patriarchy and passing down that kind of stuff. Yeah. So she honestly kind of, I guess you could say, neglects Hazel. I mean, Hazel doesn't want for like food and shelter or anything, but she just doesn't give any attention to her. So Hazel is kind of like, all right, well, I'm just going to fuck off and do whatever I want then. And she just is like studying all these medical journals. She's like fascinated in new experiments that are happening with like electricity powering the body and like all that kind of stuff. Um, And I'll just like gloss over this really quick at the beginning of the book. Essentially, uh, Hazel's mom is like, we're going to go to the countryside for your brother's health, and then we're going to go to London for the season, which everybody who knows anything about this time period knows the season means it's courtship time. You go to London, you do the dances, all that kind of biz. 
Um, and Hazel's like, well, that sounds horrible, so I'm going to pretend to be sick, and then that way I can stay home alone and do this medical uh, school that I want to do. Which, like, that part I was willing to buy into, but there was, like, a little bit that jarred me where, like, one or two of the servants are kind of on board with her being a little wild, but, like, every servant in the house is just kind of like, all right, this girl's doing whatever the hell she wants, I guess. There's even one servant that's like, I do not really approve of this, but she doesn't, like, do I would think anything. she would tattletale, but she doesn't tattletale on yeah. anybody. But I also feel like this is meant to be a very simple. This yeah. is, like, super quick read. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like it wasn't meant to be And you know what I was thinking? So. I thought about this while I was reading it. You know, like, it, it reads like the, the small, like, paperbacks you would buy in, like, a bookstore that are, like, serialized. Like, you know, you might get, like, 50 pages mm-hmm. of a story at a time. It reads like that. Like, it's not like it's, like, you know, not good writing, but it, it reads like a book from the time you, like, a story you would hear, and it would be, like, like you know... Like a scandalous story mm. of like someone doing something. I also feel like for books like this, yeah, it would probably be more realistic if like somebody had tattletailed on her. Somebody had realized when I'm about to get to the next part where I'm talking about she goes to the medical school and she dresses up as a boy, which I always find those kind of implausible. Like, I mean, I guess when you're young, you do kind of look androgynous, but she's, like, 16, 17 at this point, so I'm like, somebody must have been, like, suspicious, at least, but, like, nobody really clocks her. Mm. And she, like, doesn't cut her hair or anything either, and somehow just just blends in. So, like, there's a lot of, like, times where you have to, like, uh, suspend your disbelief a little bit for stories like this, but I don't mind that because yeah. I think yeah. that's just part of how it's told. I also like, like we talked um, about a little bit before it, this is that like this is like a YA book for like not like only people, but it's more like 13 to 15, not mm. like a YA book where it's like 18 plus where people are like getting butchered left and right and stuff, you know? Right, yeah. It's like an easy reading YA story. So, um, also it should be noted. Before she goes to the, I don't know if it's a university, I think it's just like a society, I don't know that it's a university just yet, but she sneaks in uh, to this lecture, I guess? It's like an exhibition of a new scientific technique by a doctor named Beecham. Which is like her uh, role model. Yeah, Yeah, her personal hero, like she has his grandfather's textbook that she has, like, read back to front so many times that it's, like, worn down kind of thing. And she kind of sees him as, like, the foremost knowledgeable person on anything related to surgery. It would be, like, in the, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and you're, like, getting a direct apprenticeship under Bill Gates or something, Mm. you know? If you're, like, a software engineer or something like that. Um, so she sneaks into this thing, and this is also the first time, kind of, she's seen him before in passing, that she meets the love interest, which is Jack Kerr. Yeah. Her Kerr? I would say Kerr, yeah. Um, and he is essentially the antithesis, is that the right word, of everything that Hazel is. Hazel is the daughter of a Viscount, and she is, like, wealthy and well-educated and uh, prim and proper, kind of. Well, I mean, 
She's not, not really. She's not, but she, she is in comparison. She, and she plays the role because she knows if she does, people will leave her alone faster. Yeah, and so then she meets Jack Kerr, which is, and his, he's also 17, and he is something called a resurrection man. Yep. Or at least that's what he says they like to refer to themselves as because he thinks it sounds better than somebody who drink, digs up corpses and, and gives I them mean, to doctors. I mean, that's a real term. Yeah, yeah. But like, no, I, like at the time, you know, the only way you could get bodies as a doctor or like a person practicing, like studying anatomy, you either had to buy the corpses of criminals, like hung criminals, or people would go dig up bodies, strip them of all their clothes and belongings, put those back in the grave so it didn't become grave robbing as a crime, and then sell the body. Mm-hmm. So that's what he does. And, um... I honestly even feel like from the first moment when he, like, helps her sneak in, you can feel there's definitely, like, a chemistry between the two of them, where he's, like, um, just kind of fascinated with her, I guess. And at the time, she's kind of more like, I really just care about getting this demonstration. And, uh, it's it's very brief, but he, like, helps her kind of sneak in somewhere yeah. where she can't be seen. And Essentially, he gets her underneath, like, the risers of seats so she can watch through, like, if you were under the bleachers of a football game. Yeah. And she can see the stage where Dr. Beecham... Is cutting a dude's arm off. Yeah, but he's using... A Chloroform? Yeah, well, Ethereum. Yeah, he calls is Ethereum its own thing, or is it just an early version of chloroform? I don't know. So essentially, he's created this uh, concoction where if he puts it on a cloth and holds it to somebody's face, they just pass out and don't feel any pain, so that you can then just like oh, it's ether, duh. Ether? Yeah, like it, I mean, it's similar to chloroform. Oh, okay. But if ether is a, another thing, gotcha. So anyway, this is like a new thing that Dr. Beecham has created to make surgery go smoother because mm. you just zonk out and don't even notice. Um, so she watches him perform this amputation and she's like, wow, this is amazing. And then he announces that he's going to be teaching a class. So she's like, all right, I'm going. I don't care. Um, and this is another part of the story. I was just like, I guess she just has access to her own funds. Yeah. Because it seems like she just has money, like, all the time. Well, I don't think her mom would have just been like, I'm going to bath, but, like, uh, her mom's absent, but she's not like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, there would probably be money in the house. And at one point, I think she does go for money, and one of the servants is like, you shouldn't be doing that, but whatever, mm. you know. So she starts attending these classes under Dr. Beecham. And she, like, instantly is, like, shown to be the head of the class. It would be, like, the most knowledgeable. She's got, like, the skill set of if, like, your parent was a math teacher and then you took a math class. Yeah. Like, you at least know more than the rest of the class. She's done, like, all the pre-study, so by the time that they're actually sitting in a classroom and he's like, name all of the arteries in the left ventricle. I feel like that's wrong, no. but so they, you know, <laughs> like... The four chambers of yeah, the heart. Yeah, he just, and she's just, like, naming them off, like, no problem. Uh, I'm not an anatomist. I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember my biology. Um, and uh, everybody in the class is, like, initially, like, what a suck-up, and then, but it doesn't last long because they're like, damn, this is hard, I gotta pay attention, so yeah. they, like, don't have time to, like, really make fun of her. Um, 
And nobody catches that she's a boy for, like, the first two or three weeks, I think, that she's there. Yeah, you know, she's going through the classes and kind of just being, you know, they they do make a point of showing her that she's smart enough to know she's smart, but not, she wasn't smart enough to know that she's actually, like, barely educated in this field at this point. Right. Um, but then one day... Instead of Beecham showing up, another Dr. String? Str- Strine? Strine? I don't know yeah. how to say it. I think it's S-T-I-R-N-E? Something like that. Steering? But he shows up and says, he's like, yeah, I'm like the... the, un- the I'm like the person that actually the, cuts things open. Yeah. yeah. And so, he's gonna teach, like, the hands-on yeah, stuff. Yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm gonna be teaching you. And this guy had been at a social gathering she went to, so he recognizes her. And he's like, I'm not having no damn ladies in this class. Yeah, he's basically like, um, <laughs> your little woman brain couldn't possibly comprehend the things that I'm going to teach in this class, and I'm not wasting time on somebody that won't even become a successful doctor. So why don't you bunch up your little skirts and go get married, is essentially what he yeah. says to her. <laughs> like, And she's just like, damn. That sucks. And she just, like, cries and goes home and is, like, in in depression. uh, Yeah, she spirals for a little bit Um, before she decides to go find Beecham mm -hmm. and not dress up as um, a man. man. She just goes as a woman. And she's like, can't you, like, get me back into the class, blah, 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 like, you have family connections. Beecham's like, I really can't, like, you know, I don't have that much power. Which, by the way, when that happened, I was like, I feel like he could, though. Because he's, like, the head of the department. Like, I feel like if he wanted to, he could, but maybe he, I understand that, like, because of the times, he's maybe like, well, I could do that, but then, like, I would get laughed out of my field because I, like, let a woman into the class. Yeah. So... Instead, they end up making a deal where she says, hey, I'm gonna, I can't go to the classes anymore, but if I pass the exam at the end of this semester and become a physician, which I also thought was kind of funny, to become a doctor, you only needed, like, three months of training. <laughs> well, like, it's funny, because, like, if you took, like, a medical doctor today and put them back a hundred years, they would be, like, a god. A genius, yeah. yeah. So, can you imagine going back two hundred years? Yeah. Like, I would be a doctor. Right, exactly. Um, so, he's like, okay, I think that you're really interesting, and it's hard for me to find people interesting, so, I like this wager. If you succeed on the exam, I will not only allow women to take this program in the future, but I will also personally make you my assistant, and you will work and learn under me, and, like, you will have a job as a doctor, basically, is what he tells her. Yeah. And she's just like, wow, this is amazing. i have definitely taken that deal. Um... um. But yeah, you know, so so they go through that whole thing. But now she has a problem because she doesn't have because she doesn't have any on. she doesn't have any hands on training and she doesn't have any bodies to dissect and examine and look at because she makes a big note which I think back in the past this is definitely true like the inside of the body looked very different from the diagrams in the medical textbooks. Yeah. So she had to, like, actually have a body to look at to know what she was really looking for and yeah. kind of learn that I stuff. Mean, you could read 
30 books on how to fly an airplane. Doesn't mean you fly an airplane. It, right. Um, but so she goes back to the castle she lives in and renovates the dungeon into like an anatomy laboratory. Mm-hmm. And by chance, on a social engagement, or she, she's out with her fiance and she runs into Jack, right? I actually don't remember where she runs into Jack. Jack I think she runs into the theater. Him. No, she doesn't see him at the theater because she goes to the theater with her mom, and the, but then he doesn't see her. I was yeah. trying to remember this too as we were recounting. I was like, when does she run into Jack again? I honestly think after she talks to Beecham, maybe when she's coming out of there, she runs into Jack as he's delivered a body. Right? Yeah. Is that what happens? Yeah, he's with Monroe. Yeah, and um, that's what I think. And, and Monroe's like, stop flirting, come to the bar. And she's like, hey, I might have a job for you, like, come meet me in my anatomy dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, they, so he, like, meets up with her, and she's like, you steal bodies, right? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I need you to steal me a body. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and I think he, she is like, it's you. And then he's like, who are you? Kind of because he recognizes her a little bit, because she's not dressed up like a boy at this moment. And then they kind of go through the whole thing of, like, I dress up like a boy, they go to school, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of how they finally get formally introduced. Like, he doesn't want to tell her her name. They do this whole, like, coy uh, romance novel thing, where he's like, I don't want to say my name to you. And then she, and the then guy's like, hey, friend, Jack! His friend is like, hey, Jack! Jack Currer! Yeah. Jack Currer, boy! And then he's like, shut the fuck up! I'm trying to not tell like, her my right, name. My name's Jack. <laughs> he's like, but, yeah, right, Jack, she yeah. essentially pays him to steal bodies and bring them to her dungeon. Yeah. Um, and so she can operate on them, which is where he kind of gets wrapped up in the plot with her. Yeah, so he is essentially her body thief. Um, and he brings her one body, and she, like, she, like, dissects it, and she starts, I can't remember, I think she was, like, diagramming each of the vein systems in the stomach or something like that, and, like, going through all of this. She was, like, piece by piece, essentially taking it apart and, like, preserving it and kind of learning anatomy and whoever this poor soul was that she had Jack dig up for her. Um, but, and there's, like, it's weird because, like, she's, like... He brings the body, and then he's like, you know, the book is like, yeah, he was, like, lingering behind me. I could feel him standing over my shoulder as I, like, looked at this corpse. And I was like, it's supposed to be a romantic moment, but I'm like, there's a dead body right there kind of thing. But I guess, like, that is, like, their whole romance is they don't really care about dead bodies. bodies, Yeah, yeah. um, Um, But she in particular wants to cure the roman fever mm. so she's like i'm going to pay you in advance to bring me a body more bodies and in particular ones that died from the fever mm. um and he goes off lives his life a little bit and then comes back and is like hey i can't get you any more bodies and here's your money back and she's like well why not <laughs> so he's like well my partner who helped me do this disappeared and he's been gone for like a few days and jack makes a point of like he's like you know maybe the guy would skip town and not tell me but he goes to his room and has found like his hidden money stash so he knows that the guy didn't just skip town because he wouldn't just skip town without taking your money usually and jack also says that like 
Normally, he might try to do something solo because he took the first body solo. Yeah. But people have been going missing from the city and he doesn't want to risk, like, getting caught while that is happening as well. Plus, the Roman fever is flaring up in the city. So there's just a lot going on where he's like, I don't feel comfortable going by myself. Basically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and she's like, well, if you need a partner, I'll go with you. So, you know, they do the whole, like, song and dance. He's like, you can't do a job like this. You're royal, essentially. And she's like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. But it, it is very cute because they when they go off to get this body, um, she's like, hey, can you ride a horse? And he's like, I can definitely ride a horse. <laughs> that part was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she gets on her horse. He gets on a horse named Beetlejuice that's like an Arabian horse and doesn't know how to ride it. So the horse just goes like, <laughs> the horse is like, oh, you thought? And then, like, he falls off. <laughs> he, well, he, like, runs into, like, a rotted log and then, like, throws Jack. Um, and then, you know, she, so they have to, like, ride on the same <laughs> oh, horse. Oh, they have to ride and on the same point, horse. she's like, what's touching me? And then he's like, oh, and it was, like, a shovel that he was holding. I was, was like, holding. wow, uh, they had to sneak that joke in there, huh? Yeah. Like, she was like, I feel something against my back. And it was like, oh, it's the handle of my trowel. <laughs> um, but they go dig up the body together. And they dig it up. Jack teaches her how to do it. And this is the one where they fall asleep, right? No, that's they a, later a later one. one. I think that they... I think that they are successful in getting that second body. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, like, takes it back to her anatomy dungeon. Um, I'm trying to remember, because I feel like there was a reason they didn't go look for bodies again really quickly. But it might just be because then Jack starts bringing people to her to, to like, heal. Yeah, like, he basically is like, I don't know who else to take these, well... It's one of his co-workers, mm -hmm. and she doesn't want people to think she's pregnant because she'd be, like, dishonored. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like, well, I know a person who could kind of maybe help you, and he brings her to Hazel, and they essentially it starts becoming, like, a unlicensed medical and center. And they, they make a big point, too. Like, they had discussed, they discussed many times in the book before this, about how during this time period, there's, like, the almshouse, yeah. I think is what it's called, which I think is essentially just, like, the little infirmaries that are attached to churches. Is that right? I don't know. It's like a public hospital. It's like a public hospital, and, like, it's well known that if you're a poor person and you have, like, a deadly injury and your only choice is to, like, go to this almshouse or to die... Like, you're almost as likely or more yeah. likely to die by actually going to the almshouse because they're just going to be like, I don't know, rub some dirt in it and then, like, lay down and then maybe you'll feel better yeah. kind of thing. So um, they don't really have, like, the impoverished people in this city don't really have anybody to take care of them. But, you know, this is when Hazel starts getting hands-on experience and Jack kind of starts to be like, okay... She can, like, actually do this. Mm -hmm. Um. So she starts treating people for, like, in infected wounds from old surgeries. For, like, she gets a couple people that have the Roman fever. Mm -hmm. And she starts, like, taking care of them. And Jack, it's mentioned early on, she wants to, like, steal bodies that have died from Roman fever. And Jack's like, well, I've never gotten it before, so I must be immune. And he tells her that there is this root 
that his mom used to make a tea from. And so Hazel tries, like, making uh, powder and uh, tea and stuff from that root, and it seems to, like, actually help people who suffer from the Roman fever. Mm. Um, But eventually they have to go steal another body. Eventually they have to go steal another body. this is, like, I don't, like, this romance before this was kind of fleeting, and this is, like, the first moment where they actually kiss, but they go dig up a body... And they hear someone walking around the yard in the dark. Well, also, it should be mentioned first, they dig up the body, and they it's supposed to be somebody who died of Roman, Roman fever. fever, but when they pull out the corpse, there's no signs of the Roman fever, but it's his eyes. eyes are missing, and the eyelids are, like, sewn open as if somebody didn't want them to close while they were removing the eyes. So they're all like, that is fucked up. Yeah, that's And they're, weird. like, kind of distracted looking at this messed up body. And while that is happening, they hear somebody approaching. Yeah. So they, they, there's no light. So they, they don't have, like, a light on. So they hide in the grave. Yeah. And they hear the body walking around. And they're kind of in there. Basically, like, they're, like, the ground is cold. The air is cold. They're huddled together because they're kind of scared of being caught. And then the person walks away. So they're, like. Really close together, and they're like, "Time to kiss." Time to kiss. And then yeah. they kiss, and then they're they fall like, asleep ha- in the cave. <laughs> "I like this part is like so." I don't know. It's it was weird for me because like I really wanted it to be romantic, but like okay, they're in this grave that they just dug up. They found this horrifying it's- corpse. They're scared. Emotions are running high, yeah. right? Kind of thing. So I can see that for sure. And then they start, like, making out in this grave when they think somebody's walking around and might catch them. And then somehow they just, like, fall asleep it, It's in just weird to me. Not because of the events. Like, I'm like, whatever. It's like a, fa- a fantasy story. Yeah, yeah. But because they are, like, cautious up until this moment. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, fuck it. <laughs> We're sleeping in this grave. Yeah. yeah. But they, you know, they kiss and they fall asleep in the grave and they wake up and the priest is looking at them. And the priest is like, demons! Yeah, yeah, he's demons like... Demons at the grave! Like, Hazel's like, I can explain it. He's like, he's like, get out of here, demons! And the priest, like, starts throwing stones or, like, mud at them. Uh-huh. And Jack is like, yes, we are a demon! You're too powerful for us, priest! And he hisses and, like, runs away. <laughs> so they go back, they leave the body behind. And, I don't know, that for me is, like, the weirdest moment in the book. And it's not because, like, like you know, I'm going to buy into the weird, like, romantic premise of this stuff I mean, going on. they both seem to have, like, maybe a little morbid fascination with the dead, so, like, I guess it doesn't bother them that much, but, like... It, it's not that for me, it's just that they completely throw all caution to the wind mm. at this moment. Like, you know, they're, like... Instead of being like, alright, let's go back to the castle, they're like, we're gonna keep kissing in this grave and sleep here. <laughs> yeah, like, by that point, they already knew the person that they'd heard walking around had left, but yeah. instead they decided to just, just stay, stay in the, the grave, grave, I yeah. guess, and I was like, you guys could have gone and, like, made out in a bedroom. Like, yeah. I don't understand why you did this. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's, like, teenage, they just couldn't wait, they had to yeah. do it right there in the grave kind of thing. Um, anyway... So that all happens. They go back to the castle. They're like, hmm, that was kind of messed up. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> and then uh, a character that we didn't really talk about uh, reappears, which is the partner of Jack Monroe, yeah, who Monroe. went missing. 
shows up. Um, and I, I think he might be my favorite character because this dude gives no fucks about anything. He, he shows up and literally has like one chapter that's just him talking and yeah. then that's like it. That's like his um, whole thing. But he shows up, he's missing an arm and he, he like knocks on the door and he's like, I heard Jack Kerr's been hanging around him. Here, tell him Monroe's come back from the dead. His boy Monroe is back. And I was telling Ian this this whole chapter where Monroe is telling the story of what happened to him just feels like the guy from Ant-Man when they're like, tell us what happened, and then he just goes on his long spiel because that's kind of how he talks. Um, But I just love Monroe because they're like, what happened to your arm? And he's like, oh yeah. That's weird, isn't it? It looks like it wasn't my shooting arm. Like, he just keeps going off on these weird little tangents. Instead but, of talking about the horror that he was abducted right. and someone cut off his arm. Eventually, he does tell them, once they give him some, like, whiskey, I think, he yeah. starts telling them, yes, he was uh, doing a grave robbing gig, and he got abducted. Somebody knocked him out. He felt like he was in a weird dream state where he had this, like, veil over him. And then there was, like, some guy standing over him. And he doesn't really remember anything that happened, except for then he, like, woke up in the almshouse with, like, his arm missing. Mm -hmm. And that is all that he remembers. And I think, um, I think Hazel looks at his arm where it was cut off, and she's like, Wow, this is like a really precise cut, like right at the shoulder. There's the stitching is like impeccable. Like this was clearly done by somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, kind of yeah. Thing. And at this point, they had also been kind of aware that somebody had been abducting people. And also, since they dug up that body with the missing eyeballs, that clearly some people that were being um, categorizes dying from the Roman fever were not actually dying from Roman fever. So they're kind of starting to put the pieces together of like, okay, there's something weird going on here. Um, but of course, at this point in the book, they're like, we should probably be a little careful. But also, there's a lot going on for them. Hazel has the physician's examination coming up in like a week or something. Um, Jack is like, I'm fucking in love with Hazel, and she's rich, and I don't even have a job, so he's like, <laughs> yeah. I gotta go out and try and find a job, so he just kind of, and he's kind of, like, pouting because uh, Hazel's fiancé is, like, also this rich dude, uh, yeah. and he, she, he's like, how can I even compete with that guy when, like, I don't have, like, a penny to my name, so Jack kind of, like, disappears for a few days but it's told to us that it's because he's like looking he's, for yeah jobs. he like goes like to the shipyard and stuff he's and like, everybody's like ain't no jobs here sonny yep get lost yeah <laughs> like that was me spitting on the ground <laughs> so um so there everybody is kind of like too busy worrying about their own personal problems to really be thinking about these like missing people and like this weird surgeries that are happening and like all that kind of stuff um, so eventually Hazel gets ready to go to her examination. She hasn't seen Jack, Jack. for like a few days yeah. at this point, and she's kind of worried. And, um, she decides she plans to go dress as a man, but then she decides last minute on the day of the examin examin excuse me, examination that she's going to dress as a woman because she's like, whether I pass or fail, I want people to know that a woman, like, at least attempted this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This time. 
Um, and on the way there, she's early. She's early because she's so nervous. Yeah. And she notices a guy in a wheelchair kind of heading towards where she saw the first uh, demonstration of a guy getting his arm chopped chopped off. off. Yeah. And she, like, sees the guy in the wheelchair, and the guy in the wheelchair has this, like, black veil on top of him, and she's like, huh, that story Monroe told us, he said he had, like, a weird veil over him. I feel, and she has, like, this instinct of she's like, wow, this examination I have to take is, like, super important, but I feel like this is more, more important. Yeah. And so she decides to, she's like, I might have time to make it to the examination still, but I should see where this is going. Mm. Um, and so she breaks in and sees, like, you know, these are all, like, tertiary characters I talk about, but, like, a guy that she had dinner with, with all the rich people at one point is getting an eye replaced. Because he's missing an eye, yeah. So she sees, like, Beecham standing on the stage. Yeah, the doctor who did the first one. And, like, use his Ethereum to knock the guy out and take his eye and put it in the Lord. And then, you know, she thinks she's gotten away with it. And then he's like, he's like, you know... (laughs) He go, all of a sudden, he like looks directly at her, and he's like, "We have a we had an audience." audience. Yeah, yeah, I was like, "That's like such a good writing for a bad guy." Yeah, where he like noticed her, and then he like didn't say anything, and then he's like, "After all," and like looks directly mm-hmm. in her eyes. We had an audience yeah. today, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Um, but weirdly, like they grab her and like bring her out to talk to Beecham, but like he honestly. Beecham knows that she's smart, and he's like, I'm actually glad that you saw this, because I feel like you're one of the few people that could actually appreciate the genius of what happened here today. Um, And he's like, he essentially does his villain monologue a little bit, where he's like, look, you might not think this is ethically correct, but just think of the implications. Like, they're... Like, I just transferred an eyeball from that boy to this old man, and he's going to be able to see again, like, kind of thing. Like, isn't that crazy for science kind of thing? Yeah. And Hazel's like, um, she, like, keeps looking at the boy that he took the eye from, and she's like, this boy's bleeding to death. Can you please take care of him? And he's like, I don't know. He was already suffering as a poor. Yeah. A poor. (laughs) So it probably doesn't matter. He's probably better off dead. And Hazel's like, um, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and so it gets into this kind of ethical questioning for a while and they banter about it. But then eventually the assistant of Beecham comes in again with another body under a tarp or, I don't know, covering. And, you know, Surprise, it's fucking Jack. No surprise, it's Jack, yeah. yeah. Um, and... I, the, so Beecham's main goal at this point, apparently, is, like, he has done transitional surgeries from, like, people's body parts, except for the heart, successfully. So he's like, I'm gonna practice on Jack. And Hazel's like, the hell you are? Yeah, and so um, Hazel uh, pulls out one of her quills. Which, back in the day, the writing quills were very yeah. sharp. And, and she, like, stabs she, the guy. Yeah, she shanks the assistant that's holding on the hair. Yeah. Um, and the doctor, Beecham, has already cut into Jack's... Like, not, like, hacked him open, but done, like, an well, like, into his chest, yeah. yeah. So she, like, runs up there. And he, you know, they get into an argument a little bit about this. And she's like, you know, you've got to save him, blah, blah, blah. But she convinces the doctor to take off his gloves. 
No, I think uh, the doctor, She, I think what she does is she, like, yells Jack's name at this part, and he, like, wakes up, and he sees the doctor's gonna try and knock him out with the, the right, chloroform, right, right. and Jack grabs the chloroform, chloroform and, and puts chloroform it over the doctor instead. So then the doctor passes out, and Jack and uh, Hazel run away. Yeah, she helps Jack get away. Yeah. She runs into her fiancé on the street, covered yeah. in blood. And she's like, can we take him back to your place so yeah. we can make him better? And, and this is when, like, you know, they the, the fiancé is, like, a minor background character from the story, but he just kind of sucks the whole time. I mean, he's just kind of an entitled, rich dude that's like, I'm gonna get married to this woman, and I'm set for life, yeah. baby. And then she's like, you have to believe me, like, this doctor's abducting homeless people, stealing their body parts and putting it in rich people. And he's like, yes, of course, I believe you. I'm gonna tell the police. And then he goes off and basically sells her out. Yeah. Well, not her. Uh, he actually so, blames it on Jack yeah, because yeah. he sees Hazel. Hazel, like, stitches Jack up and heals him. And the fiancé sees the way that Hazel is looking at Jack. And it has been kind of... It was kind of noted... Like you said, the fiancé is kind of a minor character. And, like, I don't really care about him. He's kind of there just to push the plot forward. But, like, it's kind of... Was noted at the beginning of the book, he was kind of like, I don't know, I guess we're going to get married, but your, like, obsession with anatomy is kind of weird. I don't really like it. Like, as my wife, I kind of let you have these little fancies, but I don't really want you to pursue it. And it kind of seemed like he's like, I, I don't really know about getting married to you anymore, right? Yeah. But then there's, like, rumors that start going around that Hazel is, like, receiving attention from another suitor and then her fiance becomes like so jealous that he's like we're getting married here's an official proposal we're gonna we're gonna set a date once we're in london like kind of thing so it's been kind of implied that he is like extremely jealous and possessive where he was like maybe not that interested in hazel but once he thought someone else someone else was he wanted her and then in this moment, when he sees how Hazel is looking at Jack, like, so concerned, clearly cares about him deeply, he's like, I gotta get rid of this guy, because only I can be the center of attention to this woman, yeah. apparently. So so the constables show up. Like, Jack heals up for a few days, and then he's like, I've gotta go back to where I have been staying, essentially, to get some of my stuff. And the constables show up there, and they're like, you're under arrest for abducting people and killing them, and then selling their bodies. And so Jack gets essentially put on uh, death row. He's gonna be hung. And while, like, you know, while that's happening, Hazel goes to confront Beecham. And she had, he had given her his own personal copy of the, the, Beecham's treatise on anatomy or whatever the heck it's called. And she had found like this diagram in there for like how to perfectly cut apart a hand, I think it was. And she's like, this looks like the original, like something that the original Beecham would make. And she kind of like comes to this conclusion after having that encounter with him where he was like removing body parts and putting them in people and it was like working that she's like, all right, I'm on to you. You're not Beecham's grandson. You are uh, Beecham. Beecham. And he's like, yep, you caught me. And, like, this is the part of the book where it goes from being, like, kind of normal 
to being like, oh, I guess this guy invented the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, you're like, I was like, like, the whole time I was like, all right, Stein or Strine, whatever his name is, he's like the red herring villain. Like, he's, he's problematic, but he's not murdering He's actually just a misogynist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But like, so this guy's definitely the villain. And then you're like, alright, he's not just like a crazy surgeon. He's fucking immortal. He's immortal? Yeah. Yeah. And he, this is when he takes off his gloves and you see that his hand is made up like all these other different fingers that he's like over the years replaced because I couldn't tell if it was because his body was still deteriorating, even though he was immortal, or no. if because he wanted to make himself stronger, like when he had an issue, like I thought he broke a hand or something. I thought he, he was. He it. says something about the Ethereum or the the whatever. He has that weird the, liquid. I, I called it the philosopher's yeah, stone. Yeah, he has a flask like, of immortality liquid. Yeah, and I think he like implies that when he was figuring out how to make it. It oh. was like caustic. Oh, okay. So he's like replaced it since then. Yeah. But now he's immortal. Yeah. Um. Like he um, and he's like, "Come join me, my apprentice." He like tries to dart through the sir. Yeah, he was like, "I've only offered to this what to one other person before. It was my wife, who I love dearly, and now you, because I see you have true potential." Join me, kind of thing. And this is, like, my favorite monologue, because, like, most of the stuff he says is just insane, even by insane people standards. (laughs) Right. But he does say something like, like, you know, I asked my, like, we lost our kids, so I asked my wife to spend um, eternity with me, and she said no, and now she gets to spend eternity with our children, and I'm stuck here forever. Yeah. And I was like, alright, that's that's good writing. Damn, okay, Yeah. yeah. He's a really good villain. I think that he's a really well-written villain for this book. Like, I'm, I'm impressed by how interesting he is for how casual the characterization of people mm-hmm. in this book is. Like, it's not like a 700-page tome where you get no. all of his backstory. Like, I, I find him interesting and not super cheesy, even though he's a little cheesy. Yeah. But everything is a little cheesy in this. Yeah, yeah. But she rejects him, obviously. But, well, she she takes the vial oh, from him. He offers it. But he's like, he's like, think it over. Like, I know you'll make the right choice. And she's, she's like, turns to look at him and she's like, the only thing I care about right now is if this can prevent death from a hanging. Because yeah. she's like, I'm going to give it to Jack because he's about to die. And Beecham's like, all right. And kind of just lets he, her go. He, well, he's like, yeah, he's like gunshots, hanging. He's like, nothing can kill me anymore. Mm-hmm. And he does give her, he's like, it's Christmas. You want some brandy? And so she drinks some brandy, too. Um, but then she goes off, drives her way into the jail. Yep. Has Dude. a last, like, tearful moment with Jack. And she gives him this, and she's like, this will make sure you won't die. Like, I need you to take this because, like, I want you to live. And we can, like, run away together, yeah, basically. There's a little bit of banter, um... About, like, he's like, I don't want to drink this if you're not going to live forever because I'm going to be immortal and I have to see you die. Right. Um, but then. And he's also like, well, this, it's more important for you to take it because what am I? I'm just like a poor boy that steals bodies for a living. I'm just Aladdin. He's like, you're going to be like a brilliant doctor. Then, like, your talents are, well, this is kind of what Beecham was saying too, is like, your talents are kind of wasted in this era. You should drink this and then become like, the the like the best of your trade essentially in the future um 
and they kind of like fight about it a little bit, and then she's like, "Okay, well, like I can't, make I, you I can't take make it. you take it. You just decide on your own." And then she leaves, and it kind of cuts to um, Hazel is at a wedding for like one of the people that works for her, and she's yeah. like saying goodbye to them because they're about to go on their honeymoon. Um, and they kind of, they hint to you that Jack has survived the hanging. Because the horse that they, she taught him to ride on is, is gone. missing, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of unclear how much time has passed. Like, it's probably like a year-ish. Um, but, you know, they leave. She's in the castle alone. Which is another really weird moment. Like, I was like, all of the servants just Yeah, what? and I was like, I guess her mom never came, came back, back. And they were like, whatever. Well, her mom does say, like, Percy. They're in London. Percy decided, her brother decided to stay in London. But they just never demand that her daughter They don't demand in. that she comes, yeah. Um, so yeah, she's in the, the castle, like, by herself. And then she gets a letter. And it's not signed, but she says she knows who it's from because all it says is, my beating heart is still yours and I'll be waiting for you. Yeah. So you assume it's from Jack, although you never actually... I was really sad when I got to the end of this book because I was like, they didn't have a happy resolution. Well, they... Jana Schwartz has announced an immortality, a love story. Oh. So there's a sequel coming out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll get... I, I was also kind of wondering, too, if, like, Hazel would be smart enough to make her own Philosopher's Stone so that she well, and, like, Jack could so be together, So this is my or... thought, right? Because, like, Beecham's really annoying in that moment about drinking something Drinking together. something. So I was like, did he, like, spike the brandy with, with he it? He was like, I'm gonna make sure you're immortal no matter what yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. I, when you brought that up when we were talking about it, I was like, I bet that's what you're gonna say, is that he spiked her drink with the immortality. But yeah, yes. the... the, the uh, Luna, please don't nuzzle the microphone. Um, the description says, Hazel is alone and half convinced the events of the year before... Immort- the immortality Beecham's vial were a figment of her imagination. She doesn't know if Jack's alive or dead. All she can do now is treat patients and maintain the castle as it starts to decay around her. When saving a life leads to her arrest, Hazel seems doomed to rot in prison until a message intervenes. She's been requested by the physician of Prince Char- Princess Charlotte. Princess Charlotte, you should listen if you haven't to the episode of Noble Blood about Princess Charlotte. She's really interesting. Um, and is dragged into the glamour and romance of a court where everyone has something to hide especially the enigmatic brilliant members of the club known as the Companion of Death. As her work entangles her more and more, she realizes that her future as a surgeon isn't the only thing at stake for her. Malicious forces are at work in the monarchy, and Hazel may be the only one capable of setting things right. So that's interesting that this has a sequel, because I wasn't expecting it. And I wonder if, like, Dr. Beecham will reappear. Yeah. And obviously Jack's going to reappear. That's, like, without a question, I feel like, is going to happen. And, um, yeah, it'll be... I'm actually kind of interested to read it, honestly. Because I I feel like this left a lot of questions at the end. So it'll be be cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was Anatomy. Um... We already kind of talked about some quotes that we liked, like uh, Dr. Beecham's whole speech and everything. Yeah. And um, did, did you have a favorite part? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. It's weird because I don't love the immortality aspect of this just because it's not 
it's not set up at all early in the book, which is what makes it so surprising. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can drop really... There are, like, a few little subtle hints. Like, he doesn't take his gloves off. Yeah. Or, but, or... like, I just feel like there could have been a little more to set that moment up. Right. Um, But when he does take his gloves off, you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, you're <laughs> like, Frankenstein? Oh, excuse me? Which is so, it's, like, probably my favorite moment. Yeah. Um, also, early on, like, Jack has, like, a crush on another girl and basically gets, like, his heart broken. Yeah, I did like that part of the book because it really set him up as a romantic. Yeah. Like, you would know he'd be, like, ride or die based off I, of that kind I of thing. I have issues a little bit with Jack's voice as a character mm. because he's set up as this really poor romantic, which is fine. But then, like, sometimes he's like, Oi, governor! And then sometimes he's like, My heart beats only for you. All of a sudden he becomes, like, an SAT poet. And you're like, what? <laughs> I think, I, I never I never thought he sounded, like, uh, that way. I always imagined him as having that Scottish brogue. Is that how you say yeah. it? Because he's there in Edinburgh, right? I can't do like, a Scottish brogue at all. I can't so. either, because sometimes they say, like, Ken, yeah. right? Yeah, like, Ken instead a. of no or something. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I don't know, like, it's it's a good, easy read that's for people who have, like, a little bit of a morbid side. Um, I just think, like, the pacing is a little rushed. Yeah. I mean, it's really short. It's only 333 pages, but it's, like, a, a shorter book, and it's, like, the text is a little bit bigger, yeah. so I think it's, it's not even really that long, honestly. Like... I think it could, it would have been shorter if they made it in a different like, format, is what I'm saying, so. Like, I don't know what I would add. I think what I would actually do is not give Beecham, like, a redemptive arc, but just a few scenes from, like, you only have to know it's him at the time, but of, like, a character, like, in a study, you know, and they're like, giving commands to the people who were kidnapping the homeless for him, and maybe he, like, takes off his gloves and looks at his weird fingers or something. Just a few hints that something supernatural is going on as well. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, it just goes from, like, science fiction romance to, like, full-on fantasy. And you're yeah. like, what? Yeah, I I agree. I think that would act. I think that would be good. And then I, also, I had said too early on that I feel like I wish there was more chapters from Jack's point of view because yeah. it's mostly from Hazel's point of view. With like, I think Jack has like five or I, six chapters. Like it, you know, we talked about this before, but I think Hazel is a low key, not a villain, but like a low key antagonist because Jack is out there like for like three fourths of the book, and he's like. I'm, like, fighting for my life out here. I'm stealing bodies to make money for food. And Hazel's like, all right, we're going to go commit a crime together, right? And it's going to be fun and easy. And she just kind of keeps pushing, like, Jack into these dangerous situations sometimes. Because she doesn't have, like, the world perspective that he does. And yeah. she doesn't, like, really... And, like, she's not be- doing it to be, like, a jerk. But, like, at moments... You can... There's, like, a... There's a commentary on privilege... And also, like like we said, like Jack has nothing. Right. So he has nothing to lose, but he also has everything to gain. Right. But Hazel has a lot to lose, but she also has a lot to gain, and she's not even free because she's a woman in the 1800s. Right. There's, like, a lot of complex, yeah. like, relationship, social status type yeah. things that are happening. Like, there's more to this book than, like, I think 
there is, which is really impressive for how short it is and how like fluid of a read it is. But also, like knowing Dana Schwartz does that podcast, yeah. she must be very well versed in these time periods and oh, what's going yeah. on and stuff. So it feels that's why it feels that way. I think. Well, but that's all they say. It's like usually when you get a, someone who's that learned in a, a topic, they can't help but read a book that's so dense that it's almost unreadable sometimes. Like it's not fun. And this, this one book doesn't... is like drinking water. Yeah, it's so easy to read. Like I think I read like half of it in like two hours. I was reading so... like eighty pages of pop in like twenty minutes. Yeah, it was like so fast. So Um So yeah, I mean like I like it. I think it's like a three point five out of five. And I think this is one of the rare instances where you could double the length of this book and it would have been just as easy to read and you could have had way more depth of characters. Yeah. I think I would rate this I think for me, it would maybe be like a six or a seven out of ten. And again, that's just my personal preference because I've not read that. The rating is not because of like how well it's written or anything yeah. like that. This is just my how much I enjoyed it kind of rating. And there really, it really is just like the the romance scenes happening with like in a grave or like with the dead body. Well, it just kind of takes me out of it kind of thing. I'm so. looking at the the grade level for mm. Immortality, the sequel, it's 7 to 9. So, like, recommended reading age is 13 to 18. So, like, you know, I feel like, and I said this too to Ronnie, is like, you know, Dana, I think, is trying to write an uh, empowered female character. Like, a character that if, like, a 10-year-old girl read this book, mm -hmm. she would be like, I can be a surgeon. Like, you know, because it's still a male-dominated field. Right. Um, Which is really good. But, like, I was like, I think, like, if, like, 15-year-old Ian read this, he would be like, this is an incredible this novel. This is amazing! And yeah. I'm still like, this is very, very good. But, like, yeah. I, you know, as an adult, you want stuff with, like, a little more nuance. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, which, so, like, that's why I'm just kind of like, it's good, bordering on green. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. All right. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so that was our book of August 2022, and then do you want to announce our... Yeah, the beginning of spooky season for September. September. So I heard of this because I follow like some of the Goodreads for like, writing people, like, I don't know what to call them, forums. Mm -hmm. So it's called Road of Bones by Christopher Golden. And it's a stunning supernatural thriller set in Siberia where a film crew is covering an elusive ghost story about the Kol Kolyma Highway. I don't know how to say that. It's definitely a Russian phrase. I can't see it. <laughs> uh, Kol Kolyma? Kolyma Highway. A road built on top of the bones of the prisoners of Stalin's gulag. And I, it's like, I guess it's known as the Road of Bones and that's like the longest... Uh, road in Siberia. Oh, okay. So it's about this, like, American documentary team driving down this and experiencing, like, a paranormal something. Right. I don't know how gruesome it is. I don't know how dark it is. But it'll kick off spooky, spooky season because we consider spooky season starting in September. Uh, yeah, so that is going to be our book next month, The Road, road of Bones by... Christopher Golden. Christopher Golden. Yeah. So... It's only uh, 240 pages, so it's a shorter read. That's good, yeah. So uh, we hope you guys will read along with us. Let us know any of your thoughts on our past books that we've read as Anatomy, if you have read it and have any thoughts uh, yourself. 
Or, I mean, even if you have a suggestion of something that we yeah, should yeah. read, I think would be a good idea. Yeah, we kind of waffled around picking a book, because I, I really want to read... I have an idea for a story I'm working on, so I've been wanting to read a lot more, like, middle English writing, so I, also, I wanted to read the history of the Kings of Britain. But that's kind of dense and academic. And then I was like, well, what about the Arthurian story? But those are all short poems. So I settled on this eventually. Yeah. Alright. All right. Um, check us out on Shared Pages Pod Twitter, and we'll be back next month. Bye.